Hey, it's Pastor Tim. Thank you for listening. I pray this message inspires you to live a life engaged in Jesus Christ. Welcome home. Finding myself at a loss for words. You ever been there? In a situation either so amazing or so horrific, you just have nothing to say. Words will not do it. But when you have Jesus, it's a funny thing because not having words is okay because we have the Holy Spirit and He fills us. And when words won't suffice, he does. And I love the fact that these ladies, month after month, come up here and prove to us we don't need words to show the world who we serve. They say 80 to 90% of all communication is body language. And so I hope you've... I hope you've learned the lesson that they've been teaching. The way we relate to the world around us with our actions says more to them about the God we serve than what we say with our mouths. Thank you, ladies. That was beautiful. Also one of my favorite songs, so, you know. Christ, you've been here long enough, you know your pastor has a lot of favorite songs. There was a young boy who was um, fooling around where he shouldn't have been in his mother's room, and he picked up her crystal perfume boss. And he wanted to smell the perfume that smelled so good. And so he opened up the little topper, and he pulled it off, and he took a big sniff. The problem was the sniff was too big, and it caught up his nose, and he started coughing and dropped the crystal all over the ground. Shards of Svarsky crystal everywhere. His mother runs up and sees the mess, pulls him off and backs up and says, what happened? I'm sorry, mommy, I'm sorry. Takes a deep breath and says, honey, I need you to go downstairs and get me a broom while I start getting these spare pieces of glass. And he says, but I I I can't, Mama. She's all, why not? I need your help, please. And he's like, well, the light in the garage is out, and it's dark in there. I'm scared. (laughs) And the mother looked at him and says, honey, you are going to be okay, but I need you to get that broom. He says, but there are monsters out there. He says, honey, you're a Christian. Don't you know that wherever monsters are, Jesus is there too? So if you're afraid to go in that garage, guess what? Jesus is already there. Now go down there and get me the broom. Okay, okay, okay. So he walks down the stairs. He opens the garage and peers into the blackness. Looks around and says, Jesus, can you bring me that broom? (laughs) Have you ever been there? Peering into the darkness, terrified of what's out 
And everybody tells you, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Just trust in Jesus. But when you call out to him in the dark, nothing. And the thing you've been calling to him for and asking him for and needing because you're terrified doesn't come. We're starting a series this uh, next four to five weeks. It's called Before the Dawn. Now, do you know when it's darkest in our lives? Have you heard the phrase? It's darkest when? It's darkest when? It's darkest when? Right before the dawn. The problem with the dawn is it comes on its schedule, you know? And I don't know if you have been, well, scratch. I know if you're a Christian in this place. And do I have any Christians in this place? Amen. <laughs> I got a couple of them. That's good. It's a good place to be if you're a Christian. I know if you're a Christian that you've been in some dark places. Some trials and tribulations. Those that desire to live godly lives. Does anybody know the rest of that? The Bible says those who desire to live godly lives will have persecution. Will have trials. Will have trouble. So I know if i got some Christians in here, I've got some people who have lived in dark places and dark times. But I don't want to focus on the darkness so much. I want to talk about it. I know there are a lot of us in this place, in the sound of my voice, who haven't just been through dark times, but are right now in dark times. You put your Sabbath best on, you comb the hair, brush the teeth, you slap the smile across your face as tight as you can make it, and you make your way to church, guess what? That's part of the victory. Someone say, praise God. Praise you God. made it today. Amen. Not everybody did. Not everybody got up and said, I'm not going to let you win today, Satan. And has he whispered, but it's so hard. But you fail so much. But, but, but the do you see the way you feel so empty inside? Why are you going to go to church? Why are you going to do that, hypocrite? You made it anyway. Praise God. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. But you still feel the dark. So we want to look at some promises promise stories in the Bible about people who were in dark places. But despite being in dark places, they lived the light. And I want to let you know something today. If you get nothing else from the series, from the sermon, from anything else, if you are in your dark time right now and you're struggling and you're struggling and you've been calling out in the dark, Jesus, bring me the broom. Bring me the thing that I need to clean up the mess in my life and you haven't heard anything, I got good news for you. He is there. Yeah. He's there. But I don't see the broom. Guess what? He can clean up the messes in your life without the thing you thought you needed to clean up that mess. He is there. 
no matter how dark it gets, no matter how bad the struggle, he is there. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis. And we're going to the 40th chapter of Genesis. And we want to go with the um, 23rd verse. Genesis 40, 23. When you have it, say amen. All right, you got it. Say, Pastor, this is a short little text. Don't you usually read like 10, 15 passages? I do, but today I want to focus on this because there's a lot of uh, the Hawaiians say counter, meaning, power, in this little bit. The chief cupbearer, however, did not, what? Did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Now, those of you in your Bibles, read the first uh, three words, four words of the next passage. 41, Genesis 41, verse 1a. When what? Two full years had passed. Now, some of you are like, what is this going on? I don't know this cupbearer person. I don't know what's going on here. I'm going to, let me break it down for you. Those Bible scholars, um, people who've grown up in the church, the Sabbath schools and stuff like that, this hits you hard. You see, this is talking about Joseph. Joseph, the son of Israel. Okay. He had been born to Israel, Jacob's favorite wife. And that was a problem. You see, uh, his father had been tricked into marrying his stepmother, Leah, and did not love her. God saw that Leah was unloved and so gave her sons and sons and sons and sons and gave her maids, sons and sons. But Rachel couldn't have any children. She was furious. She was broken. And Joseph did all, Joseph, Israel did all he could to comfort her. All he could. Jacob would, would, would you know, finally got to a place where he said, it's not me, it's God. What are you doing to me? But finally, lo and behold, Rachel has a baby boy. They say amen. Here's the problem with that. How do you think the other brothers felt? To see joke, uh, uh, the joy on Israel's face. As he picked up and said, this is my son, the one I finally can love. Joseph grew up, grew up in a home where he was hated by his brothers. His mother dies at a young age, and so the only one left to give him any affection is his father, and his father does it the wrong way. Letting it be known, this is my favorite. Okay? Here, you all can get what, you know, the scraps that are left over. But I'm going to tell you right now, this one, my favorite. Can you imagine growing up in a home like that? Yeah, you got the love from dad, but you're not with dad most of the day. Hated. Hated. Finally, his brothers had enough of him, beat him up, threw him in a pit, and then sold him as a slave to raiders. Those raiders took him off to Egypt and sold him as a slave to Potiphar. And then Potiphar's wife, 
okay, wanted to get busy with Joseph. He was a good-looking guy, and she was not a good woman. And so she said, hey, yeah. I don't know how they flirt in Egypt. That's just, that's my Egyptian flirt. And Joseph said, no, absolutely not. I am a good, godly man. I will not. And she grabs his coat and he runs off. And she says, ah, see, he tried to, he tried to force his way off here. Potiphar came in, the, his boss, and was like, ah, I know my wife. I know this ain't true, but if I don't do something about it, all these people are going to think I'm choosing an Israelite slave over. <sighs> Joseph, mm, go to jail. See, if he really believed it, he would have killed him. But then he puts him in jail, and he, there he rots and waits. And he's doing the best he can. He's doing the best he can. He meets a baker and a bread maker, uh, a baker and a cupbearer, and the, the, they have dreams. He interprets the dreams because Joseph had had dreams. He knew how to interpret dreams. And go back to that text. The cupbearer got a good news. You were going to live. The baker died. The cupbearer lived. And the cupbearer was so happy. Thank you. You gave me hope in this dark place. And Joseph says, please, when you go before Pharaoh, because I know you and Pharaoh are tight. When you go before Pharaoh, remember me. And the cupbearer's like, absolutely, my man. You getting out of here. You got me out. I'm getting you out. Absolutely. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. See, one of the things about being in darkness is we feel absolutely alone, isolated, and forgotten. Next verse, once again. And now we've come full circle. When two full Years had passed. He's still in jail, still waiting for the dawn to come. Are any of you in the position Joseph found himself in right here? You've done everything you can possibly think. Lord, I've tried. And yet the blows just keep on coming. Doesn't seem to get better. Well, if you're there and you're a Christian, first let me say this. I know it's tough. I don't want to be one of those preachers who stands up here and says, but look on the sunny side, everybody. It's going to be okay. It will, but that don't help you right now. It's tough. It hurts. It's those dark times. Times where it gets so dark, we can't see the way forward. But the good news is this. The Bible is full of people who went through dark times. And they made it through. Maybe not the same way that they wanted to make it through. Maybe completely different people changed absolutely, but they made it through. And those that stuck with God made it through better than they were when they started. My guy. I know you are, my man. 
Well, you're still. You made it here today. Darkness ain't over. The fight's not done. The victory's assured. But you made it here. When everything in your heart told you not to. So what that tells me, brother, is God's not done with you. God's still working in you. God is still lighting a path for you forward. Do not give up. Pray for them. Yeah, Jason and Courtney, I'm so proud of Jason being willing to step up and say, I'm, I'm there right now. I'm in this place. But do you know why he came into this place? Because this place is filled with people who've been through the darkness. Filled with people who may still be in the darkness and know that there is a way through. Can I get an amen? amen. Jason's already preached the entire sermon for us right there. But I still got some things I'm going to say. Three things to remind us. That's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is coming. Understand that sometimes we have to live through nightmares to see the dreams come true. Two, never let the darkness define your light. And three, if you can't see the light, absolutely can't see the light, you're looking out there and you can't see the light, well, maybe, 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 just maybe, that's because it's in you. Father in heaven, in this moment right now, we thank you for being present. We have felt your presence in the confession of one who cried out into the darkness, I need you, Lord. And right now, let us echo his cry. We need you now, Father. So I ask that you would speak through one who needs you desperately to those who also need you so that we might see your face and be carried on in your light. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Joseph was betrayed by his family, sold as a slave, had his reputation slandered, shamed and thrown in prison, and left for years completely forgotten about. You know, the one thing with the dawn is it comes every day, the actual dawn. But the spiritual dawn, we don't always know when it's coming. The thing that Joseph did, that, that, that the reason I started this series with Joseph, is because Joseph kept moving forward. He kept moving forward. We can move forward, we can grow in the darkness by looking towards the promises that God has given us. When Joseph was a boy in his father's house, God gave him dreams. There were promises to him. It says, one day, one day, your brother and mother and father will all bow before you. And he didn't know what to make of that, but he said, I'm going to be pretty important. God's got a plan for my life. And when he was sold into slavery, he said, no, God's still got a plan for my life. When he was lied about, he says, I know God still got a plan for my life. Thrown into prison. How do we know that he, he said this, he believed these things? Because each place he went, 
he acquitted himself not as a prisoner, not as a slave, but as a child of God. He held on to the promises no matter how dark it got. I would have probably given up at the slavery, okay? Gone from being the favorite child in the house of my father to a slave. I would be like, you know what? Whatever. I ain't doing nothing. You don't have to, nope, mm-mm. Fine, I'll do a little bit, but just to keep the whip off me. But Joseph didn't act like a slave. Because he's holding on to the promises. I got a question for you today, church. Has God promised you that he will be with you and not against you? Has God promised you that he has a plan for your life? That one's a little bit more quiet, Sarah Jordan. Has God promised that even though we are unfaithful in the plans that he has for us, if we continue to come back to him and walk in him, that he will be faithful to carry us through? That our unfaithfulness does not negate his faithfulness. Has he promised that? He absolutely has. It's in his word. So if you're a Christian in this place today, I know it might be dark where you're at, but there are promises to move forward in. You are the head and not the tail. Somebody say, I'm the head. head. Yeah, whenever they flip the coin, you better call heads because that's you. Now, you may not feel like a head. You may feel like the tail, like all the stuff just comes right through you. But as I've said, this church has become my mantra for years now, and it will continue to be until you're sick of it, and you bury me in the ground, and you etch it on my tombstone. It doesn't matter how you feel about the situation. You are who God says Doesn't mean the feelings don't hurt. But we move forward in spite of the feelings and the promise that God has made for us. Jason just admitted he doesn't act like the child of God that he is sometimes. And in not acting like the child of God he is, he sometimes lets it make him feel like, well, this must be who I am. It's not who you are. And when he figures that out and lives in that, not only will he start to be the light and and reveal the light that God has placed in him, but he'll be a light to his wife and his sister and his family. Taking me off my sermon, Jason, but it's okay. I want you to think about something. God takes Joseph out of his homeland, out of his homeland. Okay, this is the land promised to his grandfather, the promised land, right? He took Joseph out of that place, the place where he wanted to be, his father's bosom, took him out of there. But what he also took him out of was a toxic family relationship. He took him out of a toxic way of seeing the world, you know, because Jacob, Israel, sometimes it's Jacob, sometimes it's Israel. We don't know. Sometimes it's an overcomer, sometimes it's a deceiver. We don't know. 
His brothers were the same. His grandfather was the same. Had generations of toxicity and lack of trust and doing things the same way. And, you know, well, this is how we all do it. And God plucked Joseph out from there so he could put him in a place where he could grow him in the way that he needed. Has God pulled you out from a place that you had comfort in, that you had felt safe in, that you felt like this is it, this is what I want, this is the promises revealed, and all of a sudden they're not there anymore? Well, maybe he's pulling you out to put you where you can grow. See, sometimes the darkness is the way in which we are prepared to receive the blessings that God has in store for us. Sacha, I don't think they heard me. I try again. Sometimes the darkness, the trials you're going through, the depression you feel, the struggle you have, sometimes the darkness is the thing that God is using you, using to prepare you. What did I say? Prepare you to carry the blessings that he has in store for you. Sometimes the greater the darkness, the greater the blessings. We've seen this throughout the Bible. Okay? Now, I don't want, I don't want, this is not prosperity gospel. This is not like, well, if you put in five cents worth of struggle, you'll get five cents of blessings out. That's all I'm saying. But what I am saying is, sometimes it's got to strengthen you to bear the blessings he's about to give you. Okay? Joseph was not ready to be Zafnath Penehoth. But God was getting him ready. Joseph was not ready to call his family out from the promised land. To secure them in a place where God would let them grow insulated from the world around them. Until he was ready to bring them out as a nation. Joseph wasn't ready to do that. But God was getting him ready. You may not be ready now for the blessings that God has planned for your life. But guess what? I got good news for you. Someone say amen, hallelujah. Amen, hallelujah. God is getting you ready. And that may feel like broken ribs. That may feel like not being able to pay the rent. That may feel like fights with your spouse. But God is getting you ready. Amen. Amen. My wife and I first got married. I've told this story before, so forgive me. I'm getting old, telling the same stories over and over again. It's okay. They say after, uh, before 40, you all, you look towards what's new. After 40, you look at what you've done. <laughs> I've been looking at what I've done for a long time. <laughs> My point is, we got married on July 4th. On August 4th, we were touching down in Sacramento to start a new life. We both came from amazing families. Okay, this church was filled to the brim, not for the reception, for the service. And for those of you who don't, from the mainland, don't know what's going on, like, okay, it's not always, no. In Hawaii, four people come to the the service, 400 people come to the reception. (laughs) But we had such family love, everybody was at the service. But God knew that we could not be the couple that he needed us to be while we were both living so close to mom and dad and mom and dad 
And so he plucked us up and he moved us out. Had no plans to keep us there, but he needed to move us there. And that first year of marriage, oh my goodness. It's one of the reasons why I love doing marriage counseling. <laughs> See the, the excitement. I remember when we first met as a couple. Couldn't, couldn't just, just the, the pinky, just, just the pinky, Kaipa. Just reach over and touch, grab her pinky. Fill me with so much love. That's why we were dating, you know? We could just look at each other from across the room. <laughs> After three months in Sacramento, I'd like move over in bed and like nudge her. I, 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 just like sleeping and hit her and she'd be like, no, but you're hot. <laughs> First year of marriage is hard boot camp, but was preparing me, breaking me down, building me up, breaking us down, robbing us and stealing from us the traditions of our family, you know, the ways that we've always done things. Well, I like my soup like this. Well, I like my soup like this. Well, maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're wrong. Well, maybe we don't need soup. Okay. (laughs) I say all that to say, it was a dark time. We both more than once throughout that first year, did we make a mistake? But after that year, only she asked that question. <laughs> I'm joking, honey, I love you, I'm just joking. No, it built us, it broke us, but it strengthened us to be able to receive the blessing. I could not be the husband I am today if I hadn't gone through that year. I couldn't be the father I am today if I hadn't gone through that. Sometimes God uses the darkness to prepare you for the blessings. My question is, are you willing to receive the blessings? Our text says this. Genesis 30, or 50, 20, at the end of all of it, at the end of all the struggles, at the end of the trial, this is what Joseph came to see his, his darkness as. What you intended to harm me, God intended for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, now my arms are big enough to hold the blessings God got. Now my arms are big enough to be able to pass them out to you. Now my soul is big enough to forgive you for what you've done and welcome you in and make you family again. Now it is. Wasn't always. What is God preparing you for? Thank him for it and then move on. Move forward. Second point. can imagine what Joseph's greatest prayer was at the beginning. As he's tied to the back of a camel, an Ishmaelite camel, going further and further from his home. You see him looking back, and he sees the hill that he came over, and he knows that just over that hill, his home, the house of his father. You could see him begging and pleading and praying, God, please, Just let me get home. Just let me go back to my father's house. I 
just want to be with him again. I just want to live on the farm and raise the sheep. That's all that I want. If you pray to God, begging him for things to happen in your life, and it doesn't happen, Joseph never lived in the promised land again. Well, let me scratch that. Joseph never lived in Canaan again. But he found that the promised land was wherever God had him. But he never lived in Canaan again. Never lived at his father's home. And you imagine the years of him pleading and pleading and pleading, God, please. And he goes from homeless situation to homeless situation to homeless situation. And you would think at some point his circumstances would define who he was. My prayers ain't being answered. I have a sneaking suspicion that he changes prayers. I said, God, let me then be your son wherever I am. Circumstances matter less than how we respond to them. Circumstances matter less than how we respond to them. See, circumstances are what the devil uses to whisper lies into your ears. Circumstances are easy for those lies because they're right in front of us. They're hard to see, hard to miss. But when the devil tries to make you focus on the dark, you, got, you get to tell him something. You say, you didn't, don't get to control the way I see this world. See, I'm looking at this world through Jesus-colored glasses. I'm looking at this world not the way that you have laid it out to me, but in the light of God. You ever have those pictures that if you stare at long enough, you see something else? You know, made me go cross-eyed. But sometimes our living situation is a lot like that. The darkness we're going through. Okay? You got to stare at the picture because then you got to stare beyond the picture. So that's not the picture. That's not what's really going on here. There's something else going on here. So I'm not going to look at this the normal way, the world, the way the, way the world does. I'm going to look at this the way God looks at it. And I understand that there's something more going on here. Too many allow their darkness to define them. And they lose something. Maybe it's a relationship. It's a job. Something they lose. And they say, I'm a loser. Maybe it's an addiction. They say, I'm an addict. Maybe it's divorce. They say, I'm broken. Or death. Become so fixated on their own darkness that becomes all they know. Have you been there? Do you know someone who's there? That the hurts done to them in the past, they cannot get over. And the sad thing is, the dawn has come. The light has shined, but they will not see it because they're still focused on the dark thing that happened. And they let that thing define them. You may be in there right now. It's so hard for me right now. And it may be. It may be. But you're not walking this path alone. Hardness doesn't define your life. 
See, because whether you walk on stony ground or thorny ground or marsh ground or swamp ground, how many other grounds I can say, I don't know, but you're walking on streets of gold. Oh, Pastor, I just can't see that. Keep walking. You are a child. Of who? I like that. See, this I can do as well. You are a child of God. Anyway. You are a child of God. That is who you are. Before you are a spouse, before you are a parent, before you are an employee somewhere, before you are anything else, you are a child of God and you will never, never be able to have light in your life if you're focusing on any other thing. Because if you focus on trying to be the best spouse you can, you will go through trials, okay? Sometimes I see those couples and say, you know, we've never fought in 48 years of marriage. I just want to reach out and smack them. <laughs> Tell the truth and shame the devil. Come on. I look at my dad and say, yo, your mother and I, we've never fought in our entire... I said, son, I, father, I love you, but... Uh, I was there. <laughs> well, I wasn't fighting. We were just, you know, disagreeing vigorously. <laughs> He's gone now, so you can't come back up next sermon and be like, well, what my son really meant to say was. No, no, it, it can't happen. What's my point? My point is this. If you try and define yourself by some outside thing, when the darkness comes, you'll see yourself as a failure. You'll see yourself in that brokenness. Oh, school didn't work out for me. I guess I'm just one of those people who can't succeed. Hope. I'm all by myself right now. I guess I'm just unlovable. Anybody ever feel that way? I'm just unlovable. I'm not worth being loved the way other people are. I see them. They're so happy together. I just feel that. I don't that. You are loved. You are loved to the fullest extent that love can be loved. You are loved. And when you being loved as a child of God becomes the thing that you focus on in all your times, in your dark times, if you let that define you, then nothing else will shake you. But if that love doesn't define you, then nothing else will fulfill you. First Thessalonians 5, 5 says this, for you are all, how many? All. Are you including all? Yes. You are all, everybody say all, all. children of the light. Children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. Do you believe that? 
To those of you who said amen, amen, praise God, hallelujah, keep moving on. To those of you who didn't, who are still sitting there, say, oh, I see the words, but I don't feel it. It's okay. It's okay. God still loves you. Just keep holding on, and he will show you show you who you are. But you got to keep your eyes focused, looking for him. I saw a documentary about birds a long time ago. No, I'm not one of those guys who watches a lot of documentaries, but I like to say it because it makes me seem smart. <laughs> I watched a documentary about ornithopters. You would know them as birds. <laughs> but um, it, it struck me as interesting. They talk about vultures, you know, the largest uh, birds that are out there, condors, vultures, you know. And then they talk about the hummingbird, one of the smallest birds. And one thing that struck me was this. The condor seeks constantly in its life death, right? Because they live off carcasses. So they're constantly looking for death. The hummingbird lives off the nectar, and it will fly thousands and thousands of miles through storms, beating those little wings. It's the smallest little bird you ever see. But man, that thing keeps pumping and flying and flying to find life. And you know what the condor finds when he looks for death? You know what the hummingbird finds when he looks for life? What are you looking for? You'll find it. Third point. Third point. Sometimes you can't see the light because it's in you. Joseph went through the darkness, but by doing so, he became a light for those who didn't have the light. If he had never been taken from his father's house, if he had never gone through that dark time, Potiphar would have never been able to see one who, though a slave, can work as a son and know that there's light. If he hadn't been thrown in jail, the jailer, the baker, the cupbearer, I was going to say the candlestick maker, but that's a different story. <laughs> but they would have never, never seen one who, though a prisoner, can live free. Pharaoh would have never seen one who can turn nightmares into dreams. Sometimes we are so busy asking God, where is the one who's going to show me the light, help me out? Everybody around me is filled with darkness. Everybody in my house just doesn't study the Bible, doesn't do what they should be doing. Where is the light? It's in you. It's in you. We've already established this. You are a what? Child of God. The light is in you already. Stop looking for it. You've got it. You've got it. So be it. Because I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. This world is darkness. It's filled with darkness. And people are stumbling around and they need light. They need it. So will you be their light? Will you be the one that shows them 
there is a better way. Will you take it upon yourself, even when you're going through dark times, to show them, my God lives and he is true to his promises. Oh, you may not see it in me now, but guess what? My God lives. You may have a bad boss. My question to you is what kind of employee have you been? You work for God, so work for him. You may have a subpar spouse, not me, but you. My question is, how, what kind of spouse have you been? Your spouse is from God, so love them. You may have wild kids or grumpy parents. You did it to them. But they are God's, so honor him in serving them. Be the light in the world you need to see. The darkness said to Joseph, you have no brothers. But Joseph stood up and said, no, no, I've got one who's closer than a brother. The darkness said to Joseph, you're a slave. But I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm a son of the king. The darkness said to Joseph, he was a convict. But he said, it's okay. My God has set me free, so I'll be a caregiver. He gave his all and all he did because he chose to be the light in his dark situations. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, and we're ending on this. For God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts. Why? To give the light of the knowledge and the glory of God. Displayed in the face of Christ. You are the light. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support this ministry with your time, treasure, or talent, please visit our website at kaneohesda.org. Have a blessed rest of your day.